Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church Podcast. Here you'll find archived all of our previous messages dating back to late 2020. Our hope is that today's message would be encouraging to your walk with Christ. We also want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get to it. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. When was the last time you played hide and seek with a child? Our son is on a hide and seek kick. Uh, His hiding place at bedtime is underneath the covers. Now, he did scare me uh, last week. He hid in the closet, and I didn't know he was playing hide and seek. (laughs) I couldn't find him. Gigi was at work. I got, I got a little panicked just, just for a minute, and then I thought, no, I didn't hear the front door. I know he is in this house somewhere. I found him. He was in the closet. But kids don't start out understanding hide-and-seek and being very good at it. A lot of kids, especially younger kids, think as long as they can't see you, you probably can't see them. Now, I know I told you to turn to Revelation. But I want you to think back from the end of the book to the very beginning. The very first question ever asked in the Bible was a question that the ancient serpent asked to Eve. It's a question that would, since then until now and forevermore, define Satan's relationship with us. Did God really say? Satan's relationship with mankind would forever be one of deception. One of causing us to challenge God, question God, doubt His goodness, doubt His word. But what was the first question God ever asked? He asked Adam, where are you? And in so doing, God would reveal to us His relationship with mankind. Not one of hiding. One of seeking. I know sometimes people say God plays hide and seek. He does not. He does not. We play hide and seek with Him. God plays seek and find with us. We think because we hide from Him and because we don't see Him clearly that it's God who is hiding. No, it's we who are hiding. I I read an article on the internet this week. God plays hide and seek. No, he does not. God plays seek and find. You say you got a verse for that preacher. Let me give you three of them. Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, the apostle Paul speaks on Mars Hill to the great philosophers of Greece in his day and in giving his evangelistic call to them says that God who made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. He said it while he was overlooking the temples of Greece. God doesn't live in temples like this, neither is he worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things and hath made of 
one blood, all nations of men. Don't divide. We are all one family. We look different. We have little different uh, ethnic diversity distinguishing things that are so minor in the grand scheme of things. But we're all one blood. And it's God who chose us to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. Why? Why has He done that? That they should seek the Lord. If haply they might feel, about, feel after Him and find Him, though He be not far from every one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being as certain also of your own poets have said, for we also are His offspring. Paul goes on to talk about the resurrection of the dead. Verse 30 says, In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because He hath appointed a day in the which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained, whereof He hath given assurance unto all men in that He hath raised Him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked and others said, we will hear thee again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. How be it certain men clave unto him and believed. Now, most of the people Paul was talking to did not come to Christ. So when Paul said, God wants you to seek him and God has made it possible for you to seek him. He wasn't just talking to people who were going to get saved. He was talking to the people who didn't get saved, too. God was saying, I want you to seek me and I have made it possible for you to find me. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Let me give you, that's, I'm going to give you, I said three verses, I'll give you four. There's number two. Here's number three, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because you have to come to God. You have, first of all, you have to believe that He exists. But also you have to believe that He rewards those who seek Him. Now, I left out a word. What's the word I left out? Diligently seek Him. I went to that church on a Sunday morning and the pastor prayed. I didn't meet God. Well, did you show up? For a 40-minute message, 40-plus-minute message? Or are you diligently seeking God? God seems so far away. How hard are you looking? How hard are you searching? Because I promise you, if you will diligently seek Him, He will reveal Himself. He'll reveal Himself through His Word. He'll reveal Himself through His creation. He'll reveal Himself through the divine encounters, the people that He places into your path, in your life. He will reveal Himself. Jeremiah 29.13, God promises through the prophet Jeremiah that if you seek Him, you will find Him. If you seek Him, Jeremiah says it this way, God says it this way through Jeremiah, with all your heart. If you seek me, you will find me, God says, if you seek me with all your heart. See, but the problem is we don't want to do the searching. We want to we play, play games like God's the one hiding. No, no, no. We're the one hiding. God wants to reveal himself to us. And with that understanding, we go to the great revelation of Jesus Christ, the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1. Now, we're going to spend a number of weeks here just... Uh, 
probably three altogether, at least three, just looking at the foundation of this great book. We spent one week already looking at verses one, two, and three, but let's read them together by way of review. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, God gave it to Jesus to show unto his servants things which must shortly or suddenly come to pass. And he sent and signified by his angel unto his servant, John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth. I get a blessing today. And you get a blessing today if we are hearing what God is saying. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and and don't just be a hearer and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. When I told when I taught uh, uh, Bible at Calvary Christian Academy, I told all of my students every class beginning of the year, first class, this is the most dangerous class you will have all year. It's more dangerous than what you're going to learn in science. So you might learn some things in science that can blow something up. But God will hold you accountable for everything you learn in this class this year from God's Word. God will hold you accountable. This is an incredible blessing. This book is an awesome book, but I've got to put a warning. It comes with a warning. The warning you get at the end of the book. You better not add to this. You better not take away from it. You better deal respectfully with it. Here, God reminds us, if you read and hear and keep it, there is a blessing. And so last time we were in the book of Revelation together, the apocalypsis, the revealing of Jesus Christ, we saw that this book, the premise of this book is to bring Christ to us, to reveal Christ to us, to reveal Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah. Revelation 19, why do we study prophecy? Because the Testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What you believe about prophecy informs the Jesus you're serving. It's not, as I heard um, um, J.D. Farrakh say uh, last night, it's not a salvation issue, what you believe about the rapture or about the second coming, but it is a sanctification issue because it reveals the Jesus you're trusting it, what you believe about prophecy reveals what you believe about Jesus. That's why it's so important that we study. So it's a revealing of Jesus. It's also the purpose of it. It's a warning to us and a comfort to us that these future events, which will be outlined throughout this book, are coming swiftly. That means they're going to come suddenly doesn't mean they're going to come instantly. This, this was written almost 2,000 years ago, but it means when they come, you will not be expecting it if you're not looking for it, praying for it. If you are, Hebrews 10 says you will see the day approaching. That doesn't mean we get to set dates. We don't. But it does mean you're going to see it coming. You may not realize how fast it's getting, but if, God, friend, if you don't see the day coming, you're not looking. You're the one playing hide and seek by yourself. The prophet is John, as we said last time, certainly the apostle, but possibly also John was Jesus' cousin. And then the power of this book is to give us a special blessing if we will seek Messiah, if we will listen to Messiah, and if we will serve 
Messiah through what we learn in this book. Let's go into verse 4. As John now addresses his readers, including you and me. John's opening discourse in verses 4 and 5. John says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ. Maybe you came here today to hear a message from God. Jesus is speaking to you right now through this book. This is a message to you from Jesus, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Now, we'll stop there for a moment. I want to say a few things quickly about these opening verses. Number one, this message is for the seven churches. Now, as we will see as we go into this study together, and as I shared a few weeks ago, my, my plan right now is on Sunday mornings leading up and probably into the beginning of next year because of the holiday season, we're going to look at chapters 1, 2, and 3 on Sunday mornings and then probably, unless I uh, feel the Lord leading me in a different direction, probably what we're going to do then is shift chapters 4 and following to Sunday evenings, which is... Uh, just a reminder that we do uh, live stream and then we after we live stream on Facebook, we post our videos to YouTube. We also podcast our videos and uh, Elmer uh, heads up our CD ministry. Uh, if you want to get in on this entire series, let him know right now so that he can start uh, making those number of copies for uh, the book of Revelation. So even if you're not able to be here on Sunday nights, the messages are still available to you. But these are seven historical churches. They're ancient churches, but they're also, as we will see when we get into chapters 2 and 3, they're also typical or symbolic or archetype churches. There are seven types of churches. Now, we'll see something else that's even, I think, just as exciting when we get into chapters 2 and 3 about how symbolic these churches really are as it relates to prophecy. But these churches are representative of all kinds of churches. You, you can pretty much put every church into one of these seven categories. These types of churches, these are seven real churches, historic churches, but they're also seven types of churches. And we're going to find our church somewhere in here. This message is for the church. Number two, the message is one, praise God, of grace and peace. Now, just like Paul, the Apostle John here begins with a blessing. God's favor, God, that's grace. Grace means favor, charis, God's favor, his blessing and his peace. The word peace in Greek means wholeness. Why am I not at peace? Because there's something inside of me that is not whole. It's not right. The only one who can make you whole is the one who made you. The only one who can make you whole is the one who died for you and rose again and forgives our sins if we receive His grace. The only one who can make you whole is the one who is offering that wholeness 
to you. So even as Christians, we need to remain under God's favor. It's not saving favor, but it's serving favor. If we want to serve God, as we're commanded to right here at the beginning, we need to remain under His grace in His favor, to have His favor, His blessing on our lives. And praise God, He wants to give that to us. He wants us to have His favor, His blessing on what we do. He wants us to have peace on the inside. But we have to listen to Him. We have to come to Him for peace. We have to find our peace in Him. Gigi can't give me peace. Elijah can't give me peace. This church can't give me peace. I certainly can't find it on my own. Jesus will give me peace. Now I'm thankful for this church. And I'm more thankful for my son. And I'm more thankful for my wife. But those are all blessings from the one who is peace. The Prince of Peace. Jesus Christ. This message is for us. It's a message of grace and peace. And it's a message from, listen, the eternal God, the seven spirits, and Jesus Christ. This is an expansion, really, of the introduction of verse 1. God has given a message to Jesus. Jesus has entrusted much of that message. Some of it's going to come from His own lips to us. But much of that message, as we'll see, has been entrusted to the angel to give to John, to give to all of us. God likes to work through messengers. And it's not our job to determine whether the message is true or not based on how much we like the messenger. The message is from God Himself. Holy men of God wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1. Now let's walk through this. We see as we get into uh, later on in this chapter and into chapters 2 and 3 that uh, this, there's more than one angel involved in this message. It's coming through from Jesus through an angel to John, but it's also coming to uh, angels that we'll talk about when we get into chapters 2 and 3. I really, Lord willing, next week as we get into the end of chapter 1. But let me just walk through this uh, message and who it's from here for just a minute. Number one, first of all, God identifies himself. How he identifies himself is always critical because it informs what he wants us to get from the message. God has many names and many titles because God is infinite, he has many things. So when God reveals a particular aspect of his deity to us or a specific attribute that he has to us in his introduction, it is to inform us about the message in a certain way. And so here's part of what God wants us to understand about Revelation. God is speaking to us as the all, eternal and almighty God. Isaiah says God dwells in eternity. God says heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. The miracle of the incarnation is not just that God became a man as infinitely miraculous as that is, but that the eternal God stepped into our time space and began to experience time the way that we experience. Because we don't experience time the way that God does. God in Isaiah 46 says, I declare, who are you going to liken me to? I declare the end from the beginning. 
I know the, I, I decide how it's going to end, and then I, I decide how we're going to get there. I don't experience time the way that you do. God doesn't react to time the way that we do. God is infinite. God is existing outside. God created time space. He exists outside of time and space. That's something that we can't really wrap our minds around because Ecclesiastes 3 said that even though God has placed eternity in our hearts, he hasn't given us because of our sin. He hasn't given us the ability to really understand it. So if somebody tells you that they understand infinity and eternity, they are lying to themselves because God hasn't given us that ability. He is infinite. He's able to tell us the future because he is existing outside of time and space, but he's also able to accomplish every single thing that he says because he is infinite in power. He is the Almighty One. He is all-powerful. There is nothing too hard for him. Sarah, laughing. I'm an old woman. You think I'm going to get pregnant? God said, uh, I heard you laugh. You think something, you know what I think is funny? That you think something's too hard for me. You think just because you're old that I make you a promise that I can't keep it just because of your age? Nothing is impossible for me. Sarah says, I didn't laugh. Oh, yeah, you did. In fact, you're going to name your son Laughter. You're going to name your son Isaac Laughter so that you always remember this time where you questioned me. And Hebrews 11 says that Sarah then from that moment on, she responded with faith and God blessed her faith. God is almighty. He, there's nothing he cannot do. He is the eternal one. Now, notice, I, I want to I don't want to spend an entire message on this. So I'm just warning. I'm not going to go as in depth into this as some of you want me to. And some of the other ones, what I do spend on this is you're going to say I didn't get that part. That's OK. Just hang on. Just buck your seatbelt for a minute. What, what is going on with the seven spirits? The seven spirits identify themselves as, notice, not on the throne of God. They are not the seven spirits on the throne of God. They are the seven spirits before the throne of God. This is not their throne. Now, I, I'm preaching out of the King James this morning. I love the King James, but the King James has spirits capitalized. I do not believe, as many good Bible teachers, many good Bible scholars, many good commentaries will tell you that this is the Holy Spirit here. This is not the Holy Spirit. This is not the Holy Spirit describing himself as seven different spirits. I know, I know, Isaiah 11, God says, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord has, has six different characteristics. Six is not seven. Okay? And, and I know that the menorah is tied in with the imagery of the Holy Spirit. The problem is, if you think that the seven lampstands of the menorah in the tabernacle, in the temple, if you think that this, the, the menorah represents the Holy Spirit, now you have an idol. Because God said, you will not make unto me any graven images. That includes the Holy Spirit. You say, well, then how is the Holy Spirit tied to the menorah? Well, because oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that gives light to the menorah. The Holy Spirit is not the menorah. The Holy Spirit is not seven spirits. The seven spirits here are seven angels. Some people, because it's always dangerous when you have a theology and then you try to force it into a text. 
If our theology doesn't fit into a text, that means we need to change our theology, not the text. Okay? So just because we absolutely 100% affirm the Trinity, when I baptize someone, I baptize them in the name, one name, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three persons, one name. Three persons, one God. Absolutely affirm that. I confess that. But we're not seeing the Trinity. People try to force the Trinity into this verse. And they say, see, Father, Holy Spirit, and Son. That's not what is happening here. Let me give you seven things. Like I said, I'm not going to go into this as, as in-depth as some of you would like. Uh, I don't want to spend an entire message on this on a Sunday morning. The Spirit was not sent to be the New Testament messenger, but rather to enable God's prophets and scribes, the holy men of God, 2 Peter chapter 1, to convey the message from Father and Son. This is what Jesus promised in John 16. The Spirit of truth will guide you, apostles, into the truth. So that the Spirit who will not speak of His own, God said, Jesus said this, the Spirit is not going to speak of His own. He is coming as the messenger. And He is coming to, as the messenger, not speak of Himself. In fact, Jesus said He's not going to speak on His own. He is going to speak through you. He's going to speak through the prophets. So if we think that this is the Holy Spirit who has now changed what Jesus said He would do, now we have a, a problem with what Jesus said in John 16. Because Jesus specifically said the Holy Spirit wasn't going to do that. So the Holy Spirit is not the one speaking here. He's never, John 16 speaks of his own volition, but only in submission to the Father and the Son. That's John 14, John 16, that passage of Scripture where he talks about the Spirit of truth. Number two, everywhere else in the Scripture, including Revelation, and even within this very passage, the Spirit identifies himself in the singular, not the plural. The Holy, John is in the spirits in a few verses. In the spirit, spirit, not spirits. Why would the Holy Spirit say I'm speaking as the spirits, but he's in the spirit? That would be very confusing to us if, if the Holy Spirit is describing himself in a contradictory way in the same passage. Number three, the number seven appears 55 times in this book. Seven churches, seven spirits, seven lampstands, seven stars, seven torches of fire, seven seals, seven horns, seven eyes, seven angels, seven trumpets, seven thousand people, seven heads, seven diamonds, seven plagues, seven golden bowls, seven mountains, seven kings. Everywhere else, you know what it means? Seven. It means seven. Doesn't, it's not used to uh, represent completeness, which is what was, seven means complete. No, that's not how the book uses it. Fifty-five times this book uses the word the number seven. It, it means the same thing. It means seven. It doesn't mean one. Number four. This is unique to the New Testament, but this was common in the Old Testament. Hebrews chapter two two tells us that in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, much of the Old Testament was delivered in some way through an angel. An angel was part of the messenger. Doesn't mean that God didn't speak to the prophets directly, but only Moses and only Jesus only heard directly from God. Those are the only two prophets. Sometimes Paul would hear directly from God. Sometimes 
Paul would receive a vision from an angel. See, a lot of times the dreams and the visions that people received were brought to them by the angels. We, we studied not too long ago the book of Daniel. Daniel received dreams and visions. Many of those dreams and visions involved angels speaking to him. And so what is unique, what is unique, and we already, we already read this in the first couple verses, to the New Testament, because this is not really a New Testament book. It's for the church, but it's really about what happens after the church, most of it. Most of it. This book is also delivered by an angel. It's a very Old Testament. And God wants us as we study this book to realize you better know your Old Testament before you really dive in to the book of Revelation. Some people think the book of Revelation is just a Greek apocalypse. You just treat it like a Greek apocalypse. Uh, no, it's a, it's a book of Hebrew prophecy. Hebrew is, the fingerprint of the Hebrew prophets is all over this book and one of the examples that God gives us right here at the beginning is that this is involving the angels as God's messengers to the world number five in Revelation 8 2 John speaks of these the seven angels these seven angels which stood before God and the use of I don't want to get into off into Greek again I know some of you want me to do go deeper into this some of you want me to go not as deep but just for way of sake of time, in the Greek, the definite article the is even more impactful than it is in English. And so when the writer says the seven angels, he's indicating in the original language that I've already talked about them. The seven angels, the ones I've already told you about. Well, where are they? Well, I believe they're right here. The seven spirits, because what are angels? They're spirits. They're ministering spirits. The seven spirits, the seven angels, Revelation 8, 2, uh, Revelation 3, 1, the Holy Spirit speaking to the church through John makes no distinction between the seven stars and the seven spirits that Christ holds in his hands. Christ is God. The Father is God. The Holy Spirit is God. And God does not just hold the Holy Spirit in his hands the way he holds angels in his hands. That is to demean the Holy Spirit. Number seven, the seven spirits equal one spirit interpretation. Again, relies heavily on Isaiah 11:2 and on the imagery of the menorah. And I've addressed both of those already. The menorah cannot be a symbol of the Holy Spirit because that would make it an idol. And God has forbidden graven images. And uh, Isaiah 11.2 doesn't give seven characteristics of the Holy Spirit. It gives six characteristics of the Holy Spirit. You're stretching the text to try to get seven into Isaiah chapter 11. So we have this message from the eternal almighty God. And from seven angels that have a specific role to play in delivering a message to uniquely to the church and then also to the world. Thirdly, Jesus himself identifies himself. How does Jesus identify himself? Three ways here as the faithful witness. The first begotten of the dead and the word is prince, but in the Greek, it's archon, which means ruler. It's not a prince in the modern sense where you, you're first a prince and then you become the king. It's not it doesn't mean that it means a ruler because he is the Prince of peace. He is the ruler of peace. 
but he is also the king of kings. He's not waiting to become king. He is king. He's waiting to come to his throne. But it already all belongs to him. God has already put all things underneath his feet. He's coming to claim what is already his when he comes back. What does this mean? If we see Jesus as our faithful witness, he must be our only and ultimate source of truth. It also tells us that he's trustworthy. How do I know he's trustworthy? Because he died for me. He left heaven's throne to be born as an infinitesimal little baby conceived of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Life eternal in the womb of a virgin. And he humbled himself to be born in a stable, to be laid in a cradle. He has shown his faithfulness to us. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He has demonstrated his faithful to us. He is trustworthy and the ultimate source of truth. John 14, 6, I am the truth. You cannot get to the Father. You can't get to God. You can't get to heaven unless you come my way through me. You don't get to God's house when you die and say, God, here's why you should let me in. Now, there are people who are going to try that. Jesus talks about them in Matthew chapter 25. Lord willing, we'll talk about that next Sunday night. Lord, Lord. Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do all these wonderful things in your name? Jesus didn't say, you used to know me and, you, and I kicked you out of the family. That's not what he says. He says, I never knew you. I never knew you. You never had a relationship with me. It was all about your works. How many of you here today think that you're saved because somebody said, pray after me, repeat this prayer. You didn't know what you were saying. You didn't understand it. It wasn't from your heart. It was just from your head. Repeat after me. Now you need to get baptized. Let's get you wet. Congratulations, you got wet. And you've been trusting in something that your parents told you you did 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, but you have never, ever recognized your own sin and your own need for a Savior. As Dr. Moyer said last week, Jesus Christ did not come to make the down payment. He made the full payment. If you think that Jesus just opened the door for you to work your way in, you are not saved. You need to come down to the altar and you need to admit you're a sinner. You need to come to the Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for you and rose again. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Ten words. Do you believe them? Have you responded to them? If not, why not? Why not today? Why not today? Jesus is the first begotten of the dead. He's the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. That means not only is He our source of truth, He's our source of hope. What's our hope for Kenny? What's our hope for Early? What's our hope for all the others who have gone to the Lord just in the last few weeks, months? Just in the last two and a half years since I've been your pastor, what's our hope? He is alive. He's alive. Not just that he died for us. He's alive. Say, I don't believe it. You haven't studied it. You ha I promise you haven't studied it. Go get yourself a ca The Case for Christ or, or another book written by somebody who used to be an, ev an atheist until they read the evidence. Who used to believe 
that there is no God until they I'm going to disprove Jesus' resurrection. I'm going to show my wife she's wrong. And they studied it for themselves. And you know what they did? They came to Christ. He is alive. And that's why we have hope. That's why we have hope today. And number three, he is the prince, the king, the ruler of the kings of the earth. He is the ultimate authority. I don't care who the president is. I care, but not that much. I don't care who the king is of England. I don't care when the world gets together, and they will, and they will all bow down before one king to rule them all. They will bow down, but he's not going to reign for very long because the real king is coming. He, he is coming, and he will fix everything that is broken. That's what our authority is. That's where our focus needs to be. Jesus, the conquering King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, let me just very quickly give you John's opening doxology here. I want to show you the two profound statements that John makes before we close. John's doxology, let's look at it again, verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth. Notice this. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold. Which means, listen up, pay attention, focus on this. He cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so, amen. Two profound statements, one for the church, one for the world. Both of them closed with the word amen. Here's the statement to the church. John says, church, you better be worshiping him. You better. It's a call to worship. Why do I worship Jesus? Why do I? I'm going to worship Jesus and glorify him forever. So why am I starting now? Three reasons. Number one, he loved us. He loved us. He is the shepherd who gave his life for the sheep. Greater love has no man than this. That a man lay his life down for his friends. You are my friends. And here's the amazing things. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us. Don't think you're not loved. Uh, listen, your wife may not love you. Your husband may not love you. Your parents may not love you. God loves you. He loves you. You want to you be healed? You want to have healing in your heart? God loves you. Jesus loves you. He proved that he died for you. He died for you. There's no greater love than that. God loves you you and listen church remember god cleansed you from our sin from my sin with jesus own blood i can live the what the way he wants me to i can do what he wants me to do because he has cleansed me my when i get to heaven why should i let you in that's not gonna happen that way but if it did why should we let you in because i've been cleansed I'm clean. God sees me as clean. I, I, have, I have the grace of God. Not because I earned it. I didn't earn anything. God did the work, all of it. Number three, here, guys, this is so amazing. Jesus elevated us. He loved us. He cleansed us. He elevated us. Do you understand? The meek shall inherit the earth. 
Do you understand that you are going to judge angels someday? So Paul says you better start acting like it. You better see yourself better than you see and but not better than not not better than others. Not better than others, not better than other Christians or better than those who, who need to become Christians, but better than you do. The devil tells you you're worthless. The devil tells you you can't be fixed. The devil tells you you are worthless. God says, I made you clean in Christ or I will make you clean. And if you come to me, I'm going to make you a priest king, a priest queen. And you are going to rule with me. Daniel chapter 7, thrones put up. We will rule and reign with him. We'll get to that when we get to chapters 4 and 5. God has loved us, cleansed us, elevated us. Why wouldn't I worship him? With my words and with my deeds. Hebrews says that we bring the sacrifice of praise and service. We don't bring goats and, and sheep here today. We don't bring bulls. We bring praise and service. We're His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God hath already prepared that we should walk in them. Secondly, John gives a warning to the world. The call to the church is a call to worship. The call to the world is a call to repent. Behold, world, Jesus is coming. If you're here today or you're listening to this, you're not in this room, but you're listening to this right now or, or weeks later or months later. God's calling you to repent. We heard it in Acts 17. That's not just an Old Testament thing. Paul said to the, uh, to the philosophers of his day, you need to change your mind and your way of thinking. That's what the word repent means. You need to change your mind. Stop trusting in yourself. Why? Because the judge is coming. Behold, he comes with clouds. Every eye shall see him. We'll talk about this, Lord willing, more tonight. And they also which pierced him and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. And so what is Jesus? That's John's opening statement. What's Jesus? Jesus says it like this, verse 8. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. I am one with the Father, Jesus repeatedly said. I am the Father, are one. I am the Almighty, Jesus says to us. His death shows us he loves us. His empty tomb shows us he's all powerful. So why are you afraid? Why are you down? Why are you cast down, oh my soul? Right? Why is my soul cast down, David? Why is my soul cast down? Well, he wrote that way before the cross, and he still didn't have a reason. He said, God, pick me up. I still don't have a reason. Now we don't have it in pictures and types and shadows and symbols, now we have the living Savior who died for us. He showed us, he proved his love to us, and he proved his power. He is the Almighty One. He is the infinite, eternal God, and he's coming back to judge the world. He, uh, John quotes Zechariah 12.10 here in his call to repent. They're going to look on him whom they pierced, and they will wail. He is the Almighty One. So let me close with this, church. Again, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Spoken at the conversion of a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. His name was Zacchaeus. 
the tax collector. You know, we, don't, we don't think fondly generally of the IRS, especially now that they're armed and dangerous or soon to be. That's just a taste of how the tax collectors were viewed in Jesus' day, the scum of the earth, the worst of the worst. But he wanted to see Jesus. And Jesus said, now has salvation come to this man's house. And he, and he tells everyone, because people are like, you're, you're, you're saying a tax collector is going to go into the kingdom of God? You're saying a tax collector? Jesus said, I want you all to hear this. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Are you lost today? Are you lost today? Jesus is not playing hide and seek. You are. Jesus is playing seek me and you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart. Jesus is seeking you. Who or what are you seeking? Let's stand in prayer as we close. God, I pray right now your spirit, if there's somebody here, God, this may be the last opportunity they have to respond to the gospel. I pray right now, God, before I'm even done praying, they come to the altar, meet with one of our deacons, our deacons' wives, that they might know that they know that they have eternal life by trusting in your death and your resurrection. You died for our sins. You rose again. All you ask for all you've done is that we place our faith in you and receive your grace. God, for those of us who have received, God, we take our eyes off of you so often. God, we hide from you like Adam. But God, you see everything. God, we want to see you clearly today because of your love for us, your cleansing of us, and how you've elevated us, God. Do your work in our hearts today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sing this hymn with me as we close. long but I'll give you one more verse to respond through death into life everlasting he passed and we follow him there over us sin no more hath dominion for more than conquerors we
Sunday as we close. Father, give us the eyes of faith, God, by your grace to, God, truly come before the throne of grace. God, to find mercy and grace. We're all in a time of need right now. God, our entire culture is in desperate need. Our families are in need. Father, you promise to meet every need when we come to you. And God, as we anticipate the answers to our prayers, God, may we even now give you all the praise and all the honor and the glory for what you have done, for what you are doing, for what you will continue to do. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the one who was, who is, and is to come, the Almighty. We give you all the praise and all the glory in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. God bless you. Hope to see you back tonight at 6.30. You are dismissed. for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful. Thank you.